For those that are with, uh, I know I've repeated this this morning, but I got here last night and I went to bed. I went to bed late. I was sitting up doing some study and stuff and went to bed and so just got to sleep and the fire siren went off and we had an evacuation in the hotel. And I'm like, it was so cold. I mean, I left California at 73 degrees and I got into bed last night. It was just so cold. I couldn't get my room warm enough. So I cranked it up to 76 before I went to sleep and then turned it off, you know, because I can't sleep with the air conditioning going on at night. You know, I like a, a cooler room at night once I'm asleep. So at midnight, I, I'm dreaming of a siren going, you know, how noises blend into your dreams, you know. And I thought, well, you know, heck, what's that noise in my dream? You know, then I woke up and I thought, did I leave the fridge open and the fridge is beeping or, you know, yeah, I was all confused, you know. And then finally I realized that it was the siren going, so I'm like, heck, I've got a choice to make here. Do I go outside and freeze my butt or do I stay in here and die? I'm like, <laughs> so I called reception and I said, do we have to evacuate? And she said, yes, we're asking everybody to evacuate the hotel immediately. She said, but we understand if you don't want to go. So that was permission. So I thought this, I came to this conclusion. I can go outside and freeze and live, or I can stay inside and be smoked out and die and go to heaven. I thought, can't threaten me with heaven. I'm going home. <laughs> Back to bed. And I woke up this morning, false alarm. <laughs> See, that's cool wisdom. It wouldn't have been wise to go outside. <laughs> that was just wise, wise to stay in bed. Amen. I, I got some things on my heart tonight that I, that I want to share, and uh, I didn't actually know what I was going to share all day until just at the back, and suddenly I opened up my iPad, and I just started getting some thoughts, and I started dropping some thoughts down, and I actually, I want to tell a story tonight, but through the story, I want to, I want to, I want to blend the word, and uh, I, I'm from New Zealand. I've been here for 15 years in the United States. I'm a dual citizen now. I have two passports, like I told them this morning. If things get bad enough here, I've got somewhere to run to. I can disappear quickly, <laughs> just uh, fly <flight> away. <laughs> and uh, so I've been here for 15 years and uh, overseen the healing ministries. And, and a lot has changed in, uh, a lot has, I've been in ministry now for 25 years, but a lot has changed in that we morph. And I don't think it's that revelation, I don't think it's that theology changes a revelation of how we read it changes, and it should change. And uh, so I've come into the season of uh, just a real a lot of understanding God's rest, and you touched on that as well. Actually, I, I'm, I'm at Cleveland, Bethel Cleveland tomorrow, and I've got an apology to make because when I was at Bethel Cleveland last time, which is in uh, January last year, right before COVID, I spoke and I said that I really believe that God's bringing us as a church into a season of rest. I feel like I need to apologize. I think I started COVID. <laughs> and I actually thought that God was talking about the season of the heart, you know, of like really coming into a ministering out of this place of rest, that there's no striving. That's what I spoke on. I said the only striving we see in Scripture is striving to enter his rest. And uh, so I'm speaking about rest and striving into rest and, and ministering out of this place of rest and, and being in this place of rest. And I've really just been pondering on that this year because I actually thought that God was speaking to me about the physical state of our lives, of really being in rest, like not being rattled by the circumstances of life, but having a posture of rest. And rest is not obviously absence of activity, right? as, as pastor said, but being in that place of rest. And uh, so I, I'm pondering on that. COVID hits, and, and, and within a couple of weeks, I'm like, huh, I didn't think you meant this much, God. <laughs> like, uh, my rest is over, you know? Like, I'm, you know, two weeks in, I'm like, I'm bored, you know, I traveled 350,000 miles in 2019 and I go from that to a screaming stop in 2020 and I'm like, God, I'm bored, rest is over, I'm rested up, I'm ready to go. See, I thought he was talking about rest of the heart, right? But then when COVID hit, I thought he was talking about that rest, but he was actually talking about rest of the heart, that ministry and life needs to come out of this place of the rest of the heart. See, how much rest do we add? 
And as we begin to learn, as we begin to learn rest, as we begin to minister out of rest, because all ministry has to come out of this, of this place of rest, that miracles become more the byproduct as we come into this place of rest at the feet of Jesus and we begin to feed from Jesus. And I tell you, it's been a beautiful season of really learning rest of the heart. It doesn't mean that I have hurricanes and tornadoes going around me. I have got so much swirl happening around me of so many things in my life. But at the end of the day, I'm going to learn to rest in the storm because we will only have rest in the storm and the storm we can sleep in. See, are you having a good nap? Or have the, have the, has the season of the day so tuned up your heart that you're not in this place of rest with God, of living out of rest? I, I don't want to teach on rest. I'm actually going to teach on rest tomorrow morning out of uh, Ruth and Boaz at, at Cleveland. But being in this place of absolute rest, see, I, I've got this heart of really wanting to see the miraculous like I burn to see the miraculous as a common day event through the life of the believer because I don't believe that any, it's about the man of God. I believe it's about the God of man. And I, I'm, I'm an equipper. I want, to see, I want to see the body arise, that the body would be who it's called to be, that we as a body would be all that we're called to be. A number of months ago, I, was, I woke up one morning I wake up every morning, but I woke up this particular morning. And I, I sensed like Jesus is standing right there. And he's, he's looking at me with this big smile on his face. And he says, he's like, he's waiting for me to wake up, you know, like he wanted to chat with me and he was waiting for me to wake up. And I'd had a rough night that night, you know, not every night's a good sleep. And like last night, <laughs> and, not, and not every night's a good sleep. And it was one of those mornings when I woke up, and it wasn't, it really wasn't good morning, Lord. It was good, Lord, is it morning? <laughs> like it was, and here's Jesus looking at me, and, and he says, Morning. And he says this, he goes, Was I ever decapitated? Now, when you've had a rough sleep, and you wake up kind of on the wrong side of the bed, and here's Jesus saying, was I ever decapitated? You know it's a trick question. And, and I had to think about it for a little bit. I mean, I was so confused. I'm like, oh, well, I, I, you know, I'm rapidly going through my brain thinking, how did Jesus die? You know, like I couldn't, I couldn't remember. You know, I was half asleep, half awake. It's like, how did Jesus die? You know, so I knew it was a trick question. So I played it safe and I said, I, I don't think so, Jesus. And he said, you're right. He said, I wasn't decapitated. He said, I'm still the head. You're still the body. Have fun today healing the sick. And he's gone. See, we're still the body. I'm the body. You're the body. We all serve different functions of the body. He's the body. He, I'm sorry. We're the body. He's the head. His head was never decapitated. See, separation from God for the life of the believer is an illusion. I think that one of the number one messages that I, that I carry in the season of what I'm walking in in the last few years, and I'll talk about this in just a second, is, uh, is really understanding our union with God. Because separation is an illusion for the life of the believer. See, according to John, uh, I'm sorry, not John, according to Galatians 2.20, it says, it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that lives in me. Now, I know I said I wouldn't say this on the stream, but I'm going to because I just, I'm old enough to not care anymore <laughs> what I say. It's just not a very politically correct statement. See, what happened at the cross? I mean, Jesus didn't die just for us. He actually died as us. I mean, perhaps the cross was the greatest mass murder in all of history. Perhaps he didn't come to save us. Perhaps he came to kill us. Because we can actually only live to the fullness of God, who God created us to be, when we recognize that we've been co-crucified, dead with him, murdered 
and we were co-crucified and co-resurrected with him that the I became we through the cross. And, and the sooner that we come into a place of understanding the message of, of true identity, I love the message of identity. It's just about all I want to preach these days because I can teach you principle on how to heal the sick and you will see the sick healed, but, but it won't be long before you'll need another principle. But I can teach people on their identity of who Jesus says that you are. Did you know that he's not a window you look in to see who you can become? He's the mirror you look in to see who you already are. I have such a passion. I've been wanting to write a book for, I've, I've written a few books, and I'll talk about those in a second, but the, my, my latest book I've been actually wanting to write for about 10 years, and I sat down on a flight back from Guatemala at least 10 years ago to write it, and I wrote half a page, I wrote myself into a corner, I'm like, nah, I've written everything I need to, everything I know. And I'm like, this is not the season, there's not a grace. I mean, I had a lot on my heart, it just wasn't coming out on paper. And, uh, and the Lord keeps saying to me, not yet, not yet, not yet. It's not the time, it's not the time. I, in my last, I think it was my last trip here, it was in August, I, I swung via Orange Beach, Alabama on the way home. There are a friend that's got a big fishing boat there on Orange Beach and we go out for looking for monsters, see monsters. I just love the big game stuff. We go about 60 miles off into the, out into the ocean and uh, just... We go fish at a thousand feet deep, and it's just fun. <laughs> Sorry, I just like killing stuff. <laughs> I was telling a friend yesterday, I'm a bit frustrated about something. I said, I need to, I need to get this sorted, or I need to kill something. <laughs> and then I said, oh, in case the feds are listening, I'm talking about a fish, not a person. I sat on the plane coming home and I sat down and I would never write on an iPad apart from sentence, a short sentence or a note for myself or something like that. I don't even like doing emails on an iPad. You send me this long email and you get a one word back, yes, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> and I sat down on the plane and the Lord says, you can write now. And I'm like, oh God, why now? I got my iPad, not my computer, you know. And I, so I pulled out my iPad, wrote 25% of the book by the time I landed in California. And within seven more days after that, so eight days in total, I wrote the entire book on an understanding of identity, of what is the identity of the believer, because I believe it's a message that's timely that not many believers actually understand what their identity is, because our identity is in, not in what we don't do, and it's not in what we do, it's who we are, the beloved one. Within 30 days of the flight from Pensacola back to California, I had finished the book, the artwork had been done, it had been edited, and it had gone to publish all in 30 days. And this is, this is it here. It's called Apprehended Identity, Taking Back What the Church Has Stolen. I mean, what was stolen. <laughs> I was going to put church and then cross it out, and I'm like... No, no, then no pastor will ever have me. And then I was going to put Taking Back What the Devil Stolen. And I thought, no, that's giving him too much credit. So I just renamed it Taking Back What Was Stolen. So, so that is back there, a message, a timely message on the identity, the identity of the believer. There's many of those there. There's another one back there called Overflow. There's only four of these left. A daily experience of the heaven, heaven's abundance, of how you can live in the abundance of heaven. Every day. I tell you, these are about, I, I just think like, you know, I've got on the back here, do you often feel like you're on the treadmill of life, worn out, tired, burnt out, and performing for God? Well, it's time to get set free and enter into the journey of true identity. It's time to take back the identity that is stolen from us, stolen by life, stolen from religion, stolen by the enemy. It's time for freedom. I like your name, church name, freedom. It's time for freedom. It's time to apprehend our true identity. It's a longing of mine to see believers walk in freedom and see them thrive regardless of the season they find themselves in. Freedom from what you might ask, freedom from sin, from bondage, from guilt, from condemnation, from shame, religion, addictions, and Christian performance. The answer is simpler than you can ever think. So that, that is there. And then there's this one here, there's overflow. 
And then there's uh, the walking in supernatural healing power. I might relabel this one day and call this one taking the word out of the supernatural ministry and putting Jesus back in. And then there's uh, then it's one of my favorites, which is called the perfect gift. If you are a parent of a special needs child, a grandparent, or you know someone that has a special needs child, please do everything you can to get this, get this book into their hands. I am so excited. This Friday night, I'm ministering in Singapore for Joseph Prince's Church, New Creation. I cannot wait. I am beside myself with joy. It's a special needs conference ministering to special needs families, of, to mums and dads. And as at last week, they had like 300 people registered, and they're thinking they're going to have five or 600 people. It's a church of 50,000 people. And uh, so I just, I can't wait to minister and to bring life into these parents. See, I, I'm just, I'm obsessed by Jesus. I, I'm obsessed by Jesus that we, we as a body would get Jesus what he paid for. I, I'm sitting in the back there and I, I, I was just reminded, uh, reminded myself of the story and uh, because I, I just believe, I believe in breakthrough. I believe it's in the supernatural power of Jesus. I believe that God wants you healed. There's no question about that. And we'll, and we'll jump into that a little more. And, and often we hear, uh, we hear this verse quoted. It's in John 11:40. It said, uh, it's Jesus addressing Martha. And he says, Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four years. And Jesus said, did I not say to you, if you would believe, you'd see the glory of God? What did I say? Four years. Four years. <laughs> Blame the fire department for that one. That's a miracle. Oh, guys, I like you already. Man, I tell you, critics just fire me up. Did I not say? No, now I've lost my place. Did I not say, if you would just believe, you'd see the glory of God? I, I don't know about you, but I, I ponder on verses. I don't read a lot of Bible. I read a little Bible, and I read it a lot. I mean, I'll take one verse, and I can focus on it for years. You know, just like, what does it mean? I am just sort of find myself pondering on it. See, we all want to see the supernatural. I would hope we do. We all want to see Jesus get what he paid for. We all want to see greater breakthroughs. And I don't know how many times I've heard this verse quoted. It says, if you would just believe, did I not say, if you would just believe, you'd see the glory of God. My question is what? Believe in what? Believe that someone's head can grow back. Believe that you know, their missing arm can reappear, believe that cancer can disappear. This is my question. This is the way I this is the way I teach myself is like, believe in what? I wonder what he's talking about because he said, Did I not say? But when he said, Did I not say, he was actually it was actually a correction on Martha. He's bringing correction to Martha, saying, Did I not say? So he's obviously referencing another time. But we can go back in Scripture and we can see the reference to the first time that he actually addresses Martha, which is in John 11, 25. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. See, that's why I'm so possessed by Jesus, because if I can be possessed by Jesus, the miracles become the byproduct, because the miracle points to a, a point, points, the miracle is like a sign that points to a greater reality, that greater reality is Jesus. See, what if we became so possessed with Jesus? What if we became so filled with Jesus? What if we came back to that place of rest and we came back to that place of simplicity, the simplicity that's in the power of the gospel? I see why the front lines are empty. I spit. <laughs> Second row, get your umbrellas out. <laughs> Put your masks on. <laughs> 
That if we come back to that place of the simplicity of the power of the gospel, then we will begin to see fruit happen that is the transformed mind that reveals the glory of God. Did I tell you I'm obsessed by Jesus? It's just been the most beautiful season of just being obsessed by Jesus, of coming back to that place of, of rest and the simplicity that there is in Christ. See, I wanna I, I wanna share a story with you tonight. But let me let me just share a verse before I get there. Hebrews 1.3 says this, that he is the exact representation of a father. He, referring to Jesus, is the exact representation of the father. How many here want to know what the father's like? It should be all of us. This is not a trick question. <laughs> if we want to know what the father's like, we just need to look at the person of Jesus. Because when we look at the person of Jesus, I mean, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So when you look at the person of Jesus and you follow the life of Jesus, because Jesus is our role model for ministry, not a story in the old covenant we don't understand for the healing ministry. When we look at the person of Jesus, we see in the person of Jesus that he never walked on water all the time and he never calmed storms all the time, but he did heal the sick all the time. Everybody that came to him was, without exception was healed. All, all the questions in the old covenant that we don't completely understand were pointing to a need that we needed a savior. And that savior comes and his name's Jesus. I mean, if there's only one message I could preach today, it would be this, Jesus. Because it's actually all about Jesus about his co-crucifixion, our co-crucifixion, and our co-resurrection, that the I became we, that we're one with him. And it says in the Bible, that 1 John 4.16, it says, as he is, so are you to the world. It doesn't say as he is, so you might become to the world. I'm just taking a little sidetrack here. I'm just kind of fishing around before I jump into what I really want to teach. As he is, so are you to the world. I think that we have a little problem in the church. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the one around the corner. <laughs> and not, not Tommy Miller's church. I mean that one. That's a great church. Legacy church, wherever that is. I'm going to be there in April. Another trip to Ohio. I think that one of the greatest issues in the church is that we don't actually truly understand righteousness. And we, we as a body have reduced righteousness to a doing word, but yet it has to be a being word before it's a doing word. Otherwise, you've reduced Christianity to a sin management program. Yeah. I mean, it's both. It's a doing word and a being word, but it has to be a being word before a doing word. Yeah. You guys with me? Yeah. This is primarily what apprehended identity is about, is actually understanding the righteousness of God, the righteousness that we became. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. I, I want to tell a story, and I'm going to blend some scripture through it, and we'll pray. About, about a year ago, I was in San Diego, another place I love to go, particularly in winter. I got on the plane, I'm like, Lord, why am I going to Ohio in February? He's <laughs> like, please just do something about the weather. And I'm like, it's quite pleasant out there. It's like, it's not too bad. I could live here. <laughs> as long as it doesn't get lower than 50. <laughs> I'm in San Diego and I get, I'm, I'm staying at a, a wealthy businessman's house. I was just doing some private ministry. It wasn't public ministry. It was just some private ministry for some of his friends. It's a big house. It's 18,500 square feet. It's a whopper. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's gigantic. And I'm staying in a guest unit off the side, which is like 2,000 square feet. And he brings some of his friends in one by one for them to talk to me to see if I can fix them. 
And the first, the first lady, I come out of my apartment, and first lady is a, I'm not going to tell you who her boss is, but every single person in this room would know her boss. Every person. There wouldn't be one person in this room that wouldn't know her boss. And I, I, I sit with her, and she says, I said, why don't you tell me your story? But before I sit with her, the Lord says to me, I want you to bring her into an alignment with my word, and she'll be healed. I tell you, there's such power in the declared word. There's, there's power in coming into the alignment of what the Lord says. Actually, I need to take another sidetrack. I got something really, I got something just really burning on my heart for a second. I'm just going to take a little sidetrack. There, there's power in the declared word. Something just triggered inside me when I said there's power in the declared word. We see in, we see in, uh, we see in 1 Kings 17. It says, Elijah decrees that there'll be no rain upon the land until he says, with the decree, there'll be no rain upon this land until I say. Now, I think we could all agree that no rain on a land that needs rain would be like a judgment from God, right? I'm talking old covenant. In 1 Kings 18, three and a half years later, Elijah prays for rain. And he puts his head between his knees to signify he's praying hard for breakthrough. He's laboring in prayer. And he sends his servant out and he says, go see if there's rain coming. And the servant goes out and comes back and said, no rain. Elijah puts his head between his knees again and prays again, and he repeats the process seven times. And on the seventh time, Elijah, uh, the, the prophet comes back and he says, the servant comes back, I'm sorry, and says, I see the rain the size of a man's hand. What if, under the new covenant, we reverse the order? That we didn't pray hard for God's blessing, we decreed it. We just spoke it out. But isn't it interesting that we, we labor and pray hard for God's blessing, but we're so fast to pass judgment? I think we've got it around the wrong way. But here's an interesting thought. I think it's in, I think it's in James. It says, it says something like this. Elijah was a man with a nature just like us. Who prayed earnestly that there'd be no rain upon the land. And no rain came for three and a half years. And then it said, and Elijah prayed again. And the rain came. You know what I find very interesting about that passage? It says that Elijah prayed earnestly that no rain would come. But he didn't pray earnestly. He made a bold declaration. Maybe God sees the bold declaration as earnest and compassionate prayer. Perhaps we sometimes miss the miracle because we, pass, we pray past the miracle because we've missed his heart. Maybe he's looking for someone that will come into an agreement and come into an alignment with what he says. Perhaps we, perhaps we miss the miracle. I, I personally think the number one reason why we miss miracles is because we don't have a revelation of the heart of God. I'll rephrase that. We don't have the revelation of the heart of a father. This sounds like a contradictory statement, which it's not, but it sounds like it. Perhaps the first reason equal why we miss the miracle is because we have bad theology. But we wouldn't need the theology of healing if we had a revelation of the heart of the Father. I'm not against theology. 
I love theology. I can talk to you about it until the, the carts come home, until the cattle come home. I mean, I can just talk and talk about theology. I love it. So the Lord says to me, bring her into an alignment of my word and she'll be healed. I said, sit down. And I said, so tell me your story. She told me who she worked for. She told me that she's, an, uh, a, very, she's a very high-level executive PA, presidential. It's not, it wasn't Trump. It's not Biden either. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> pull, pull up, pull away from politics. And I said, Tell me your story. She said, I was driving home one night on the freeway and my car broke down. She said, I, I stopped my car and I opened up the hood to have a look as to why it stopped. And I put this, what do you call it, the stick, you know, the to hold the hood up. And she said, and I put my head inside to have a look to see if I could work out what was gone wrong, and the stick snapped, and the hood went boom and crushed my head to the block. She said, I've lost all my ability to read and write. She said, my head is so scrambled, I'm dyslexic, that when I look at words, the sentence is completely muddled up and I cannot read. And I said, really? I said, well, isn't it amazing that according to Scripture that you're at union with him? And she goes, wow. She said, you know, I've never heard that kind of teaching. You know, we spoke about union. And I said, well, you're in him. You're in him and he's in you. I said, that's the, the starting place for the believer in him. You're at union with him. If you're in him, you have the faith of him. That's just another whole message. It's the faith of Christ. If you're in him, if you are as he is to the world, then show me where he lacked faith because he didn't. So therefore you're in him, so neither do you. Has faith, the teaching on faith, become more about the faith in our principles? Or has it become about faith in faith? Or has it become about, or have we become so obsessed by Jesus that we teach Jesus that faith becomes the byproduct? Uh, I love faith. The question I have is, how do you get it? By knowing who you are. This really is another whole message. And I said, so you've got the faith of God. And I turned to her and I said, isn't it amazing that I start asking questions. Isn't it amazing that it's not about your performance? And she said, oh, Chris, she said, I, I know that healing is not about my performance. I said, because it's not about what you've done or what you haven't done. Most people think that the healing is about what they've done or lack of healing is about what they haven't done. That's called works. And she said, I, I so know that it's not about... Hey, buddy. I thought I recognized that voice. Looking forward to going to Duck Rabbit, having some good coffee. I said, it's not about what you've done and it's not about what you haven't done. It's about what he's done. See, as a body, we've become so performance orientated that it's really become about us. And humanism has become the center rather than Jesus being the centrality of our lives. Sorry for repeating this for those that are there this morning, but the Syrophoenician woman, she comes to Jesus and she cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me, for my daughter is severely demon-possessed. Do you know I, that I don't think I've ever met a person yet that knows what the next verse says? 
It says this, he answered her not a word. See, that doesn't sound like the Jesus that I'm talking about that healed everyone that comes to him. It says, it says, he answered her not a word. I heard a preacher a few years ago, and he's preaching out of that passage, and he said, Jesus said to the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, who yelled out after him, Son of David, have mercy on me, for my daughter is severely demon-possessed. And it says, you know why Jesus didn't answer her a word? Because Jesus wanted to see how desperate she was. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if desperation got us our healing, wouldn't we all be healed? I miss the way I think. I'm sitting in the back thinking, heretic! (laughs) Desperation is not what gets us healed because desperation and rest don't sound like they're in the same book. And Jesus didn't answer her a word. Why didn't Jesus, I pondered on this verse for years, why didn't Jesus answer the woman a word? And then he said, then I've heard it said that Jesus never heard her. I'm like, no, we know that he heard her because the disciples then come to him and say, teacher, she cries out after us. And Jesus said, send her away for I was sent not, I was sent to the Jews. So we know that Jesus heard her, but we know that Jesus chose not to answer her because she's not a Jew. But yet she calls him the son of David. You can't call Jesus the son of David unless you're a Jew. So therefore, she came to Jesus pretending that she was somebody that she wasn't to get something that she wanted. If I can make myself pretend that if I can make him think that I'm a Jew, then he came to heal the Jews and I'm going to get healed because he's going to think I'm a Jew and I'm going to get healed because I'm a Jew. So therefore, she came to Jesus based on her works and her performance, thinking, I'm going to perform for my miracle because then Jesus is going to heal me. Who do we think we are trying to fool Jesus? Come on, he's God. Can't trick him. It wasn't until she came to him and she falls at his knees and she says, Lord, help me that she, get what she, that she got what she needed because that is the spirit of humility. Is coming with the spirit of humility to God, knowing that he is who he says he is, and it's his heart to heal that brings our healing. It's not your desperation, and it's not your whining. It's us coming boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that he is who he says he is, and we are who he says we are. It's humility that brings the breakthrough. A few years ago, I was doing a conference with uh, Randy Clark, you guys know Randy Clark? He's, he's a father in my life. I, I so love Randy Clark. I am where I am today because of Randy Clark. And I, I've flying into New Zealand to do a conference with Randy. I want to illustrate this point. I wasn't going to, but I, I feel like I need to illustrate it. And I, I took my daughter with me. I'm a New Zealander. I take my daughter with me, my youngest. My youngest is 21. I take my daughter with me and we land in Auckland Airport and they've got just this amazing lounge, amazing airport lounge. And I'm taking an internal flight to the South Island where my grandparents live. At 95 and 96, my grandpa, he's only just passed away. I'm just heartbroken because I wasn't even allowed to go to the funeral. I had to attend it via Skype. Spoke to my grandma yesterday. Night, she turns ninety. She turns 90, uh, 97 in just a couple months. And FaceTime with her. It's like grandma of the universe with FaceTime. And I, I get to the. I got it. So I've got an internal flight. So I take this internal flight and I go. I have a couple of hours. So I go into the lounge. See, I have access to that lounge. I fly about 300,000 miles with United every year. I've got access to lounges all around the world, wherever I go, right? Because of the miles I fly and the price I pay. I spent $50,000 in airfares in 2019, right? I got some, I got some rights. 
Now, because it's a foreign air club, it was the Air New Zealand Air Lounge, I fly United, I'm not 100, they're in Star Alliance, but I'm not 100% sure. I know I'm allowed in, I don't know if I'm allowed a guest. So I go into that lounge, I'm, I'm, I'm bold, I'm going to go into that lounge and I'm going to put my, part, my boarding thing on the, on the beeper thing, you know, and it's going to beep and let me in or not let me in. It's going to let me in. But I don't know about Sophie. Now I'm a father. I've got a father's heart. I'm very protective. Touch my kids, I'll touch you. Trust me. <laughs> the bear comes out. And I'm walking into the club and I went to say to the lady, am I allowed a guest? And the Lord says, don't ask, walk boldly into the club and don't look back. So I put my thing on the thing and it beeps and it goes beep beep. And she says, welcome, Mr. Gore. Come on in. Thank you. And I know she's behind me and the Lord says, and I know she'd be about to put her thing on the thing, you know, her boarding pass on the beeper, you know. And the Lord says, don't look back. I'm like, I'm not looking back. I'm not turning into a pillar of salt. <laughs> but I slow down. And my ears turn backwards. So I'm listening to what's happening behind me, you know. And I heard it go, Meh. And the lady goes, I, I'm sorry, miss, but you don't have access to this club. And I'm like, everything inside me is like, I'm going to fix this. And God's like, keep walking. Walk boldly in. Thinking, oh, like I just want to fix it, you know? You know what it's like, dads? You just want to fix your kids' problems, you know? It gets me in trouble now when I try and fix their problems. They get mad with me. You know, they're independent. And she said, Sophie turns to the lady and she goes, but that's my dad. And the lady said, I'm sorry. I had no idea he was your father. Welcome to the club. <laughs> See, why did I get into that club? I got into that club because of what I paid for, because of my merits and my air points and the hundreds of hours I sit in an airless tube every year, flying around nations, ministering. That's how I earned my access into that club. So my daughter comes in on my merits of what I've paid for, and that's how we enter the kingdom, by what he's paid for and by his merits, not by what you've paid for. See, I, I'm so passionate about getting performance out of Christianity because we're, we're, we tend to be the most performance-orientated people. We are so performance, and we wonder why we don't see breakthrough because if we got it, you'd think it's about your performance. It's time to come back to rest. So I, I, turned, I turned to this lady. It's only quarter to five in California. So I turned to the stage and she goes, oh, I completely understand. It's not about my performance. And I'm thinking, all right, well, Lord, I'm trying my best here to bring her into an, an, bringing her into an alignment. And then I said to her, isn't it amazing that it's God's will to heal? And immediately she goes, oh, I know that. She goes, I know it's God's will to heal. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm not batting too well right now. I'm like, I'm running out of options. I'm trying to bring her into an alignment, but she's in alignment. But yet, why doesn't the church think it's God's will to heal? Or why doesn't the church think it's always God's will to heal? Or why does the church think it's God's will to heal the person next to you, but not you? See, in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, a leper comes to Jesus and he worships him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Did you notice that the man was confused? Jesus never healed the man until the confusion of the question was cleared up because the question was a question of confusion. Lord, if you're willing. So Jesus answers the question of confusion first and he heals the man and he said, I am willing 
be healed. See, we need to reset back to the gospel and the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus, that he is willing. See, the disciples bring a boy to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we can't heal the boy. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Now, if Jesus had tried to minister and heal the boy and Jesus is like, be healed. And it's like, didn't work. Huh. Guess it's not God's will for you. Off you go. Because Jesus is the will of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He heals the boy. I'd have reason to preach that differently if Jesus had sent him away and said, well, I can't either. I guess it's not God's will. Off you go. And we create these false theologies around healing and we wonder why we're failing to see breakthrough in our life. So she says to me, no, I, I, I believe, I just completely believe that it's God's will. I don't have a question about that. And I said, well, so I, I'm moving on to number three with her. And I said, well, isn't it amazing that there's no divine purpose and you've been sick? And she said, no, no divine purpose at all. And I'm like, oh, three down, you know, like next one strike. There's no divine purpose. She goes, oh, I know there's, not, I know there's no divine purpose in me being sick. And I said, you're right. There's no divine purpose in you being sick because sickness isn't listed anywhere as in the scriptures as a blessing from God. I mean, here's a thought. How was sickness meant to make us more like Jesus when Jesus was never sick? Well, brother, I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. Stop trying because he wasn't sick. You can't come more like Jesus through sickness because Jesus wasn't sick. See, it's not listed as a, as, as a blessing in Scripture and Christ or his disciples never acted as if sickness and injury may have a good or a godly purpose. I think there's a big difference, and I'll rephrase that because there's a big difference in how you phrase that, is that I completely acknowledge that God is able to produce good things from bad things that he did not desire in a person's life. However, that's a long way from saying that God wanted the person sick so he can heal them. You guys with me? I'm not angry, I'm just passionate. There's no godly divine purpose in us being sick. And the sooner that we realign our mindsets to the Word of God and come into an alignment with the Word of God, we'll be healed. And she said, no, I know, Chris, I know there's no... There's no Divine purpose in me being sick. I mean, here's a thought. If we think that there's a divine purpose in us being sick, then, then why do we go to the doctor to take medication to get well? I'm just trying to be rational. This sounds oversimplistic, but I'm trying to be rational. Because if you go to the doctor to take medication to get well, when you think that Jesus is teaching you a divine lesson and the doctor gives you a medication and you get well, then you just put the doctor in a position of being rebellious against God because God wants you sick. And if you think that you're learning the most incredible lesson by having cancer and having a tumor hang off you, don't come to the healing meeting. Go home, lay on the couch and ask for another tumor to speed up the lesson. We got it all muddled up. We've got to change the way that we think. So I, she goes, "Oh no, I, there's no divine purpose in me being sick, Chris." And I'm like, "All right, I'm running out of options." I said to, her, "Isn't it amazing that uh, there's no specific timing?" And she goes, oh, no, I, I believe there's no specific timing. The timing's done. And I'm like, yeah, it's called the cross. I mean, here's a thought. What if we actually gave thanks for the miracle as if the miracle had already happened? It's called the cross. But we won't give thanks until it manifests. Are we actually missing the power of the gospel, which is thanksgiving? 
Well, when it happens, I'll give thanks. I got nothing to be thankful for until it happens. Then I'll thank Jesus. It's like, you just missed the power of the cross. It's his time. Because the time is the cross. Jesus never demonstrated that his time was when some mysterious time appeared in the future. Everyone that came to him, there's not one occasion where he said, I'd like to heal you, but it's not my time. There's only one time when he has turned the water into wine. He said, it's not my time to be revealed into the miracle as the miracle maker. And his blessed mother gave him the look. He goes, oh, yes, mom, I'll make it my time. And he suddenly makes it his time. And she goes, oh, no, pastor. She said, I, I know that it's God's, I know that it's God's time. And then I said to her this, I'm like, I mean, I'm, I've like, I'm struck out. I should have just asked this as the first question. I said, why do you think you're not healed then? And she goes, that's easy. I'm like, I really should have started with that. Like, I would have saved myself. I could have got healed in 30 seconds rather than 30 minutes. I said, why then do you think you're not healed? And she goes, that is such a simple answer. I'm like, please share. And she said, it has to be one thing and one thing only. It's my lack of faith. And as soon as she said it, I knew that I knew that I knew that I had the miracle in the back. It was just knowing. I'm like, inside, I'm like, done deal. And I stopped, and I'm, I'm, I can be quite direct, like loving but direct. <laughs> I'm just not politically correct. And I stopped and I looked and I said, lack of faith? What do you mean? Where's that biblical? And she goes, um. I said, do you remember when we started this conversation? We spoke about your union with God, that you're one with him as he is, so are you to the world, that, you're not a, that you're not, he's not a window, you're looking in to see who you can become. You're a mirror, you're looking in to see who you already are. I said, I think you better practice some more union. And she goes, okay. <laughs> she, I think she was scared of me, you know. She puts her head back and she goes, oh my gosh. She said, oh my gosh, like I, I, I got to, oh my gosh, I've been believing a lie. And I'm like, uh-huh. She goes, let me just practice union again. I'm like, and she's on the couch, she's just like, oh. Oh. Rest. Oh. She goes, oh. And I'm like, what? And she goes, it's gone. I'm like, what's gone? And she goes, the concussion. It just lifted off just then. Five years of concussion. It's gone. It's gone, Chris. It's gone. I just feel it lift off. It's gone. And I said, really? I said, right. That's, that's how the gospel works coming into an alignment. What did you say you can't do? And she goes, I can't read. And I said, and I happened to have my Bible on me. And I said, you can't read. And I said, excellent, read this. <laughs> it's called a Bible basher. <laughs> I threw to her Matthew 8 and I said, read it. I'm thinking she's going to read a verse, right? And she she opens it up and she goes, and I say, out loud, I want to hear you. And she said, and then he came down from the mountains and a great multitude followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him saying, like she's speaking like an executive PA. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and he touched him saying, I'm thinking, all right, that's enough. <laughs> and she goes on. She reads all of eight, all of chapter nine. I got lots of underlines in my Bible, so she stopped on every underline, and she goes, why have you underlined that? And I'm like, we had a little teaching sessions off the side, and you know, like 30 minutes later, we get through Matthew 7 and Matthew 8, and she says, Chris, it's gone. I'm healed. She, she wrote me a letter a few weeks later to tell me how thankful she was for our little encounter and, and that she'd been healed. See, it's, it's time. 
that we come back to the simplicity of the power of Jesus. It's time that we come back to the simplicity of the power of the cross. It's time it's the renewed mind that reveals the glory of God. And I'm convinced that so many people miss their miracle. Please don't take this too far, right? I did not say if you have not had your miracle, you've got bad theology. I didn't say that. But I am convinced that many people miss their miracle because they have bad theology or they have an incorrect perception of the heart of the Father. See, I, I, I think that the churches, in the most part, is so unbalanced. Sorry for the students that are here this morning. I touched on something I touched on this morning again. I, I think in, in a lot of the part, the church is so unbalanced. Because we know him as Jesus is the Savior, which is awesome. He is the Savior. And we know the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. It's like having two legs on a stool. And we wonder why we're unbalanced, because we're sitting on a two-legged stool. You will never be balanced on a two-legged stool. You need a third leg, and that third leg is the heart of the loving Father. Yeah. See, I've actually, I, I don't mean to sound irreverent in the way I say this, but I've actually stopped calling him God. He's my Father. Yeah. He's Daddy. Jesus used the most endearing thing, Abba Father. He calls him Abba Father. My, my daughter, my 25-year-old, calls me Papa. I, I just find it the most endearing thing. She calls out for me at all hours of the night, like, Papa. Papa, she's a special needs girl. Papa. And I'm like, I'm coming. <laughs> but when she's crying, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, Liz, you go. <laughs> to my wife. But when she calls out Papa. Because Jesus came to reveal Abba Father. See, we know him as God because he is. And he's God because he can hold the world together on one hand. But he's so gentle and so caring that he can hold you intimately in the other because he's daddy. He's gentle, but he's not soft. See, what do you think he thinks of you? See, I, I think that we need a fresh gospel. We need a gospel revolution. We need a Jesus revolution. Can somebody, do you have somebody that can play on the keys? This is not where I was going to go, but can somebody join me on the keys? I, I think it's time that we just get obsessed by Jesus afresh. Yeah. I haven't shared this story for a number of years. But I'm out driving one day and my, my middle daughter turns to me and she goes, Dad, she said, if you could have one thing from God, what would it be? And she goes, don't answer. I know the answer. And I said, what is it? And she goes, and she goes it'd be to see Charlotte healed. And I said, no. And she goes, no. And then she says this, she goes, I know what it is then. She's trying to trip me up. She goes, what? She goes, I know you have a passion for healing. What if you could see the whole world healed in one flash? Would that be it? I said, no. With tears down my eyes, I said, no. 
I said it would be that I could hear his voice. Because I just want to be obsessed by Jesus. Because if I'm obsessed by Jesus, the whole world would be healed. See how obsessed by him are you? Or have you fallen into the trap of Christian performance? Of doing the the right thing? Of jumping through the right hoops? But you go home at the end of the day and you're dry and dead. I just want Jesus. I'm in this season where I'm like, God, I'm ready to give up everything. It's it's too much to go into what I'm pondering. But I'm ready to give up everything. I just don't care. I don't care whether I ever minister again. I, I don't care whether I don't care whether I ever get paid again. I don't care whether I sell another book. I just want you. I just want to be possessed by your fresh. Jesus, I need to drink from you. I wasn't planning on going here. This is a God thing. See, in John chapter 4, I think it is, it's the, I think John 4 is the woman at the well. Jesus has this encounter with the woman at the well. We're going to pray for the sick, but we're just going to get possessed by Jesus fresh. He, he has this encounter with the woman at the well, and Jesus says, and Jesus says, that he's hungry. And the disciples say, we're going to get you food. And they go to the city and they, they're gone for a while and they come back with food. And in the meantime, Jesus gives the woman a drink. She takes a drink from Jesus. And the disciples come back. And they're like, Jesus, we got your food. That wouldn't have been soda. Just saying. It's got too much sugar in it. We got your food, Jesus. We got your drink. And Jesus says, I have food you know not of. But he had never taken a drink or had a feed when they went to get him food when he was hungry. The only thing that happened is she took a drink from Jesus. And when we take a drink from Jesus, I would like to propose to you that not only do we get fed, He gets fed. When we, when we drink from Jesus, Jesus gets fed. That it satisfies the Master when we say, Jesus, I need a drink from you. And I know that I'm I'm speaking for myself. This has been a hard season in many aspects. It's been a refining season for me. He's just burned so much out of me. It's just like awesome. Let COVID roll. Burn some more out of me. I joke when I say that. (laughs) It's from the devil. Burn more out of me. I need to drink from you. And some of you tonight are dry and some are weary. And I'm the first one to say, church is not your saviour. But some of you won't even come to church because you're 
It's obviously not you because you're here. But some of you won't even come to church because you're so out of the practice of coming to church. Well, I need to go to church. It's like, no, I know the church is not your saviour. But how's that working out for you? You're dry and weary at home? Let's stand. I had no intention of that last 15 minutes. It's not where I was going. Can you sing too? Good. Let's just put our hands out in front of Jesus like you're going to receive. And we're going to take a drink from Jesus because I'd rather see you full and satisfied and full of Jesus than I would healed because if you're full of Jesus, you'll get healed. (laughs) I mean, gosh, can you believe a healing minister just said that? I mean, we get to have both. Just begin to take a drink from Jesus. Ask Him to come and obsess you afresh. I tell you, I am done. I am done with the corporate Steps of church. I'm done with the performance of church. I don't care about the lights. I don't care about the smoke machines. I don't care about how smooth things run. I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus. Boil me back to the simplicity of the gospel. Boil me back to there's nothing left but gold. God, I don't want to perform for you any longer. I just want you. I I want to greater revelation, God, of me and you and you and me. I want a greater revelation, God, of my union that we have together. Father, we I want we want a greater revelation of rest of what it means to rest in you. Just take your drink from Jesus. Can you lead us in something there? Just take your drink from Jesus.